Good morning again. Keep your Bible open, would you, to Matthew chapter 8, and uh, join me. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks this morning for the many gifts that are in our lives that you so graciously give to us. We're grateful for the body of Christ. We're grateful that we can gather this morning without fear, publicly, lifting up our voices in praise and adoration and worship to you. We're grateful for your word. And what a gift it is to us as guidance and life and nourishment and sustenance. Father, we're grateful for your spirit. It illumines the eyes of our heart that we can see the riches of your word, that we can live and walk by faith. And we're thankful for your voice, Lord Jesus. That you do not leave us on our own as sheep without a shepherd, but you are gracious and kind to us. You draw near to us, and you guide us tenderly, you guide us mercifully with your voice, and so we're thankful. We say thank you for all of these graces and kindnesses to us. And now we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak through your words, speak through this message, and not only speak, but we pray, be seen to the eyes of faith that lives might be changed, that we might behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed from one degree of glory to the next through the Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you'll, you'll understand this, no doubt, but one of the unique perspectives you get as a pastor is, I'll put it this way, an up-close and oftentimes very personal look into people's lives. It's one of the unique perspectives you have as a pastor, which means that you get a lot of exposure to a lot of suffering in a lot of people's lives, especially in a large church like ours with hundreds of adults and children who call this their faith family. Not a week goes by, not a week has gone by in the last 10 years of ministry here, where I don't hear about someone who is suffering with some physical ailment or illness of one kind or another. And the kinds of suffering, physical suffering, ailments and illnesses are, you'll understand, they are as diverse as the congregation itself. Arthritis, Asthma, bipolar disorder, bronchitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, pulmonary cirrhosis, Crohn's disease, congenital heart failure, depression, diabetes, Down syndrome, fibromyalgia, Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphoma, kidney stones, lactose intolerance, lung cancer, Lyme's disease, lupus, meningitis, miscarriages, multiple sclerosis, ovarian cancer, Parkinson's disease, post-traumatic stress disorder, 
Prostate cancer, schizophrenia, shingles, stroke, skin cancer, tinnitus, tonsillitis, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, vertigo, even vitamin B12 deficiency. Over the last 10 years, I think I've come across each and every one of those things. It's hard then not to agree with the assessment of the human condition we read about in the book of Job. Quote, man who is born of woman, his life is few of days and full of trouble. That's what a pastor sees. It's not just, of course, pastors that see all the physical suffering in the life of our body and in the lives of our friends. We all do, don't we? You see your own suffering. You see the physical suffering of those in your immediate and extended family. You see it in your colleagues at work and the neighbors on your street and your friends at school in the lovely person who lives two doors down in the retirement home. Suffering everywhere. And of course, physical suffering, it touches quite literally all of our lives. Now, it seems to me that one of the challenges we have as Christians is to hold out real hope, real hope to those who are in the midst of real physical suffering. I mean, not bumper sticker cliches and solutions, but real substantive concrete hope. That seems to be a challenge we face as Christians. And I say a challenge because as Christians, it, it seems to me that we are good about talking about Jesus as our Savior, and we're good about talking about Jesus as our Redeemer, but it seems to me that we're not as good about talking about Jesus as our Healer. Jesus, the Savior from sin, we know how to preach that message. But Jesus, as healer of our illnesses and diseases, we tend to mumble about that message. Matthew, though, our gospel writer, look there in our passage, he doesn't want us to mumble about Jesus as our healer. Yes, he wants us to see Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our Redeemer, but he also wants us to see Jesus as our physician, Jesus as our healer. In fact, if you look in the passage with me, you'll see that Jesus as our healer is the punchline of our passage. It is the main point of the passage. You see it there, no surprise, at the end of the passage, the final verse of the passage, where Matthew lays on us the punchline, verse 17. And what does he do? Look in your Bible in verse 17. He quotes a verse from the Old Testament. Matthew doing something unique here. The other three gospel writers, Mark, Luke, John, they, they have these three healing stories in their gospels as well. It's not unique to Matthew. The other gospel writers tell these three healing stories. What is unique in Matthew's gospel is verse 17. This quotation from the Old Testament. 
where Matthew reaches all the way back to the prophet Isaiah, the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, the famous chapter you may know about the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. It's a famous chapter because it was a favorite chapter for the earliest Christians. And why was it a favorite chapter for the earliest Christians? And I don't mean Christians like 100 years ago. I mean Christians like right at the start of Christianity. Why was it a favorite chapter for them, Isaiah 53? It was a favorite chapter for them because it helped them to understand and explain how it is that the Messiah could be not only Savior, but sufferer. That violated expectations. They weren't anticipating and expecting that Jesus as Messiah would end up getting crucified. It didn't compute. But in Isaiah 53, this treasured and favorite passage for the earliest Christians, they found the rationale for how it is that the Savior could also be the sufferer. And so Isaiah says this, prophetically we now see about Jesus himself, Isaiah 53, verses 3, 4, and 5, he says this, familiar words to no doubt many of you in the room this morning, quote, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds or with his wounds we are healed. Matthew here quoting verse 4 of that passage in verse 17 of his gospel. And so you see what Matthew's doing here. Quoting this passage from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, he's helping us to understand who Jesus is in light of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, yes, our suffering servant. Jesus is our suffering healer. So Matthew wants us to understand about Jesus. Savior, yes, suffering healer as well. Notice how our chapter begins. Look at the top of chapter 8. Look there, verse 1, where what we see is Jesus coming down from the mountain, verse 1, where he's been doing what? He's been, of course, preaching the sermon on the mountain, or on the mount, as we put it, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Then verse 1 he te- of chapter 8 tells us he comes down from where he's been preaching on the great sermon on the mount. So he comes down from the mount of preaching and teaching into, you might say, the valley of healing. Or as one commentator puts it, Jesus not only talks powerfully on the mountains, he also heals mercifully in the valleys. I like that. Because in the valleys, that's of course where we all live, and that's of course where we all suffer. But Jesus, Matthew's saying, he meets us there. Jesus is both sage in the Sermon on the Mount and healer here in chapter 8. He's not just on the high mountain with lofty words. He's also in the deep valley with healing works in your life 
and in my life. In fact, you might say, Jesus is not afraid of our valleys. He is our good shepherd. He walks with us through our deepest and our darkest valleys. He is with us in our suffering, in our physical suffering. You'll notice how Matthew gathers these three healing stories. You see them there in chapter 8, these three healing stories. He gathers them together, these three stories in particular, because they share a common theme. There is a thread that unites them. All three people that Jesus heals in these stories in chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, all three people share something in common. And what they share in common is this, they're all outsiders. They're all the marginalized in society, at least in the ancient Jewish mindset. They're all marginalized. They're all outsiders. Take a look at verses 2, 3, and 4. The first healing is the healing of a leper, right? doesn't get more outsider than that in the ancient world. Verses 5 through 13, the second healing is of a centurion, a Gentile, a non-Jew, of course, by definition, an outsider. And in the third healing, look there, verses 14 and 15, it's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. She too's an outsider, not because she's a mother-in-law. That was a joke, right? But because in the ancient world, to be very blunt, she's a woman. That's why she's an outsider. But notice this fascinating thing that not only in this passage, but nowhere in any of our four Gospels does Jesus heal what you might call an insider, a power broker. Notice Jesus never in any of the Gospels heals a Pharisee, a scribe, or a religious leader. But only those without insurance and on Medicaid. The marginalized, not the mighty. The vulnerable, not the power brokers. But why does Jesus heal them? Why does Jesus heal these three people in our passage? What did they do to deserve Jesus' healing touch? Well, look in the first story, verses 2 through 4, with the healing of the leper. Look there, what we see is that Jesus, check this out, heals the one who asks for healing. Look at verse 2, Matthew tells us, quote, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, If you will, you can make me clean. He sought Jesus. He asked Jesus for healing, and Jesus, voila, graciously grants his request. Look at verse 3. I will, he says. I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. Notice in the second story, verses 5 through 13, look there, the healing of the centurion. Notice the centurion doesn't directly ask Jesus for healing. Very interesting. He simply makes Jesus aware of a situation of the need, not not his own need, but the need of his servant. And so he doesn't ask Jesus for healing. He simply honors Jesus as the healer. Look at verse 8. Lord, he says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but Only say the word as the healer that I know you are, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is gobsmacked with his faith. 
He's amazed by his faith, and boom, he heals his servant just like that. The leper asks and is healed. The centurion honors Jesus as the healer and then gets healing. Not for himself, but for someone that he is connected and cares about. Both are valid ways to approach Jesus as our healer. But notice how the third story of healing is different than the first two stories. Look there, verses 14 and 15, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in the third story. Check it out. Very interestingly, in the third story, no one asks Jesus for anything. Jesus simply enters Peter's house, he sees the physical ailment, the sick mother-in-law, and he heals her, just like that. Verse 15, he touched her hand, the fever left her, boom, and she rose and began to serve him. I think Matthew's being very intentional with all of this. He's trying to communicate a message that sometimes, you see, Jesus heals when we ask for healing. Sometimes Jesus heals when we honor him as the great physician, the healer. And sometimes Jesus heals when he wants to, of his own sovereign good pleasure and will. And so I think the application for you and me this morning is this, ask Jesus for healing. Honor Jesus the healer and trust that Jesus can heal whenever he wants to, whenever he wants to. Trust that. Well, you'll notice it is a busy day for Jesus we have here in chapter 8. It's a busy day. Did you realize that he has spent the whole morning of this day preaching the great Sermon on the Mount? And I suspect the Sermon on the Mount was longer than my usual sermon. It's a long sermon, I suspect. He spent the whole morning preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And then he spent the whole afternoon, you see, healing these three individuals. And now it's evening. Look at verse 16, and you'll notice again, it's evening now in verse 16, and and Jesus' day isn't over. Matthew tells us, verse 16, there's more work to be done. Verse 16, a kind of summary of an already very long day. Quote, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits, and with a word he healed all who were sick. A jam-packed day of preaching and teaching and healing. And what does it all mean? Matthew tells us, right there in the punchline of the passage, verse 17, what does it all mean? This was to fulfill, look at verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Here it is, here's who Jesus is. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. A profound statement about what Jesus does, a profound statement about who Jesus is. Jesus is our Savior and Redeemer. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus is also our healer the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who heals us. Because you see how how Matthew puts it here by quoting Isaiah 53, Jesus is the one, verse 17, who took our illnesses. He took our illnesses. 
That is to say, he identifies with us in our physical suffering. He takes on human flesh, and in taking on human flesh, he takes on the burden of our broken bodies. He identifies with us in our physical suffering, or as Hebrews puts it so beautifully, he was made to be like us in every respect. He took our illnesses, he bears the burden of our illnesses, our physical brokenness in his own physical body. He took our illnesses. But notice, the verse also says he bore our diseases. That is, he not only identifies with us in our physical suffering, but he takes away our physical suffering. That's what it means to to bear our physical suffering, to bear our diseases. That is to say, like a sacrificial lamb bears sin by bearing it away, by taking it away, by removing it from the presence of the people. Jesus bears our diseases by bearing them away. He removes them from us. With his life, Jesus identifying with us in our brokenness, on his cross, Jesus healing our brokenness, Jesus dealing with the guilt of sin, Jesus also, listen, dealing with the curse of sin, the brokenness of our bodies, the curse of sin. And so you see, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus isn't only about salvation from sin, as glorious and fundamental and foundational as that, of course, is. His life, his death, his resurrection is not only about that, it's also about the healing of our brokenness. Jesus is not only our Savior, Jesus is also our healer. And while all the healing we want won't come in this life, listen, it will come. It will come. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to forgive your sins and leave you with rheumatoid arthritis for all eternity. He has every intention of healing you of your pancreatic cancer. There won't be any asthma or lactose intolerance or lupus in the new creation. Amen. Jesus is our suffering healer. He is the one who took our illnesses and bore our diseases in his life and on the cross. Amen? Amen. Now, one last thing I want you to see from our passage. Actually, not really from our passage. I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to move ahead two chapters in Matthew's gospel, but it needs to be connected with our passage this morning. I want to take us to chapter 10. Because Jesus does something amazing in chapter 10, and what he does that's amazing is he gives his ministry to his disciples, to us, to the church, to the body of Christ. And listen very carefully, not only his teaching and preaching ministry, but his healing ministry. Remember the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this a number of weeks ago. I should have probably brought it up this morning. Well, I am bringing it up right now. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 25, I think it is. And chapter 9, verse 35, I think it is. I don't have the references, but I'm pulling off the top of my head. But it's around there somewhere real close. 
where it talks about Jesus went throughout Galilee and the areas, preaching, teaching, and healing, beginning, and then he does preaching and teaching, and now he's healing. And then at the end of chapter 9, he preaches and teaches and heals. It's the bookend describing what's going on in these chapters. And once that's all happened, chapters 4 through chapter 9, what happens in chapter 10? He gives all of this to us. The preaching and the teaching, and check it out, Gunnard, the healing as well. The healing ministry, what does that look like in the body of Christ to carry on, not the preaching and teaching ministry of Jesus merely, I think we have a sense of what that means, but it's healing ministry. What does that look like? How is it that we extend the healing ministry of Jesus in the world? Let me share just a few brief suggestions of the way in which I think this works itself out in the body of Christ. But let me read verse 8 of chapter 10. You see that there? Jesus says to his disciples, chapter 10, verse 8, as he's commissioning and sending them out, quote, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. What's he doing? He's summarizing all of chapters 8 and 9. And now transferring it to his disciples and saying, Jesus saying, my ministry is being extended through your ministry. What does that look like for us as the body of Christ? Here are a few suggestions. First, we extend Jesus' healing ministry through what I'm going to call the practices of healing. And what do I mean by that? I mean the body of Christ, the church, in this world has a healing ministry to the world that comes through the church's own and the people, the members of the church, the body of Christ, comes through their own healing practices and works. What am I thinking about? I'm thinking here of of all of the medical and service professions, of those who are followers of Jesus, that when viewed theologically and biblically are extending the healing ministry of Jesus into this world. Think about it. We have many in our congregation that are medical doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, psychologists, hospital administrators, cancer researchers. All of these people, I think, are using their God-given gifts to advance the healing ministry of Christ in this world. They have as their proof text for their vocation, chapter 10, verse 8. My father-in-law was an accomplished cardiac surgeon for over 30 years practicing out of Indianapolis, and he had a powerful painting in his study, in his, uh, in his study, in his home, and and what it was was a picture of a surgeon with his mask on, his gown on, and his instruments and his glasses and all this microscope kind of stuff and all this over a body that he's operating on, a person he's operating on. And it's kind of zoomed in on him with nurses and a lot of people in the background. And there he is. And standing right next to him highlighted is Jesus guiding his hands. That's the idea. That's the idea. Those in the healing service professions do not view your work in secular terms, as though it's not connected to the mission and ministry of Jesus or your life as a follower of Christ. Integral. You are extending the healing ministry of Jesus. Lawndale, for example, is extending the healing ministry of Jesus through the practices of healing. The second way I think we extend Jesus' healing ministry is through prayers for healing. 
prayers for healing. Let's not forget the mandate of James chapter five that says this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Notice this healing and salvation intertwined and almost synonymous here in the book of James. And it says, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The mandate of James 5, prayers for healing. Our elders do this on a regular basis, but all of us can participate, of course, in the ministry of praying for the sick. It's one of the ways we extend the healing ministry of Jesus through our prayers. The practices of healing, prayers for healing. There's a third way I think we extend Jesus' healing ministry in the world, and it's through what I'll call the presence of healing, or you might say better, better way to put it, through your healing presence. There's something healing, there's something life-giving about physical presence, especially the physical presence of a follower of Christ. When Job was suffering so horribly, you may remember his friends did the right thing, at least initially, before they started lecturing him. They were better when they were quiet, right? They opened their mouth and things went south. But when early on they were doing the right thing, because when they find out that his life had come unraveled and he's covered from head to toe in sores and everything has gone sideways, this is what they do. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, quote, now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, quite literally, his physical suffering, they each came from his own place. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was great. Now, that's wise pastoral practice, loving, gracious practice, but I, what I want to say is there is also a healing aspect to that in ways that I don't think we fully understand. Or think about it this way. Just showing up, just being, around, just being present with someone who is physically suffering extends the presence, the healing presence of Christ to that person. We don't want to underestimate that. Fourth, I think we can extend Jesus' healing ministry through what I'm going to call the proclamation of healing. The proclamation of healing, the practices of healing, prayers for healing, the presence of healing, and now proclamation of healing. That is to say, through the plain preaching of the gospel. The good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only is salvation from the penalty or the power of sin, but salvation from the very presence of sin with all of its ravaging effects on our bodies. And so to preach the gospel, to call the response of faith, is to proclaim healing in Jesus' name. Or as Peter puts it at the end of Chapter 2 of 1 Peter, quote, He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. That's Peter summarizing the gospel, the good news. But then he goes on to say this very next thing, quoting, by the way, Isaiah 53, verse 4, here in his text, when he says this, by his wounds you have been healed. What I'm trying to say is the gospel saves, yes, but the gospel also heals. As we preach the gospel, we proclaim healing. Fifthly and finally, We extend Jesus' healing ministry, I believe, into the world, to the world, through the promise of healing. The promise of healing. Christians believe not only in the hope of eternal life, but we believe in the hope of newness of life. The Bible, listen to me, doesn't hold out the hope of becoming a disembodied soul floating around in an airy heaven where we thankfully don't have to worry about these bodies anymore. That is a pagan, not a Christian view of the future. The Bible talks about, rather, a new creation. A new creation where our broken bodies ravaged by whatever ails us and leads to our physical death, our broken bodies will be fully restored and glorified. Whereas we read in the book of Revelation, quote, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so the body of Christ, you see, extends Christ's healing ministry by pointing people to this future hope, to the new creation, to the reality of Easter, to the resurrection, the resurrection body of Jesus, which is the avant-garde of the new creation. This ultimately is the promise of ultimate and eternal healing. We extend Jesus' healing ministry through the promise of of healing in the future, ultimately. And so let me invite Josh and the team to come back up this morning as we close our service, because we're going to close our service this morning with a song that invites us to look to Jesus as both, check it out, our Savior and our healer. And to not just look at Jesus, but as the title to the song would have it, to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Because as we're going to sing in just a minute, echoing, check it out, echoing verse 17 of Matthew chapter 8 or Isaiah 53 verse 4, this verse we focused on this morning, echoing this with the songs, the lyrics we're about to sing, we're going to stand amazed because of this, because Jesus took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own and bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. And so we sing how marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen? Father, thank you for the wondrous, marvelous, stunning, gracious, kind, beautiful, and could I lavish another thousand adjectives on the work and the life of Jesus. Thank you for your costly sacrifice, Lord Jesus. Thank you for not only redeeming and saving us from our sin, hallelujah, but the promise of redeeming us from 
all of the brokenness in our bodies and in our lives. And indeed, in this world, all of it one day will be eradicated. All that will remain will be beauty and joy and goodness and life for world without end. We look forward to that day, Lord Jesus. And we, by prayer and faith, want to hasten your coming. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We pray this, Christ, until you come with joy and contentment, with hope and with faith. Amen. Amen.